We are continuing our study as always on a Friday night and we are continuing that study in the Mount of Blessings and the sermon that Jesus preached in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So before we get into it, I just want to invite you all to bow your heads with me for a word of prayer as we ask for God's blessing to be with us as we open the Word of God to study together. And so may you please just bow your heads with me as we pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to come and study your word together. We just ask for your Holy Spirit to please be with us now, guide and lead us, and bless us, O Lord, that we might understand your word, that it might speak to our hearts, it may be written in our hearts as well, and that, Lord, you would uplift our thoughts even heavenward now, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen. Well, the title of our study for this evening is Our Communication. And, you know, what was the importance of our communication that Jesus wanted to highlight and even enshrine in the pages of Scripture for millions to read after? What is so important about this? Let us go to our first text written here in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 33. Matthew 5 verse 33, the Bible says, Again ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear by thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. What does it mean to forswear thyself? The word forswear actually means to swear falsely or to make an oath or a promise knowing that you're not going to follow through with it or pretty much you're going to break it. And so that means to commit perjury or really in a more uh, simple language, that's basically lying. You're giving a promise to someone, you're saying that you're going to do something, but you in your heart know that you're not. You're just saying it, it's just lip service. And you know, Moses even warned about this many, many, many years before that in the book of Leviticus 19 and chapter 19 verse 12, this is what Moses wrote down, and ye shall not forswear by my name falsely, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God, I am the Lord. And of course, though Moses was writing this, this was the instruction from God. Moses warns us not to swear by God's name falsely. We must be careful to tell the truth and nothing but the truth. The key word there being falsely. Now, what did Moses actually write about taking oaths or, or swearing? Is it actually okay? Because, you know, I told you the key word there really is the, the, the falsely, but is there anything wrong with actually taking oaths at all? Well, in Numbers chapter 30 and verse 2, this is what we read. If a man vow a vow unto the Lord, or swear an oath, to bind his soul with a bond. He shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. Moses said that if you take a vow or if you make a promise, you need to do all that you have said. You're not to break a single word of anything that you have promised at all. So he did not say, do not take oath at all. If you do, you got to make sure you follow through with it. Furthermore, we also read in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 13, the Bible says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. 
Now, it's interesting that what we read here in Deuteronomy, it seems to contradict what Jesus was saying there in Matthew chapter 5. Um, it seems to, to, to say here that it's okay to swear and to make oaths. There seems to be no problem with it at all. So what is happening in Matthew chapter 5 in Jesus' day where he's saying that it is not okay? What is taking place? Why does it seem like Jesus is contradicting his own words that he asked Moses to read in Deuteronomy or write in Deuteronomy? Well, let's go back to Matthew chapter 5, okay? In Matthew chapter 5 and verses 34 to 36, this is what we read. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. Now, if we are not to swear by heaven or by God's throne, it would definitely not be okay to swear by God's name or Jesus' name. But yet in Deuteronomy, we just read that Moses said, it is okay to swear even by God's name. So look, what's the difference? What was wrong or why was it okay? I mean, why does there seem to be this contradiction? You see, back in the Old Testament, Moses was teaching the Israelites to tell the truth under oath. In Matthew 5, Jesus is likely dealing with a group of people that are taking oaths, that are making promises, but they know that they're intentionally knowing that they're not going to follow through with what they have promised. They've determined beforehand to make that promise, but they know that they're going to break it. And so that was the difference. You see, Moses is saying, if you swear by God's name, you got to make sure that you follow through with it. But Jesus is dealing with people in his day, and it really sounds like our day too, isn't it? But Jesus is dealing with people in his day who are making promises, who are saying, yes, I'm going to do this, but they already know beforehand. They've already predetermined that they're not going to do it. They're just saying it, knowing that they're not going to follow through with it. Isaiah, he also speaks of such a group of people as well. Look at this, Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 1. Hear ye this, O house of Jacob, which are called by the name of Israel, and are come forth out of the waters of Judah, which swear by the name of the Lord, and make mention of the God of Israel, but not in truth, nor in in righteousness. Do you see that? They swear by the name of God. They make mention of God's name, but not in truth, nor in righteousness. This problem of breaking oaths had already started long before we get to Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus is walking the earth. Even in Israel, in the Old Testament, after the time of Moses, people were swearing by the name of God. They were taking oaths, but yet not in truth, nor in righteousness. They were in, not intending to go through with what they had promised. So Jesus was dealing here with a very big problem, also in modern day Israel. And once again, people, they're making promises. People are swearing by heaven or God's throne or by earth, by their own hair, by his name, whatever. They, they were just 
you know, in our day, we go on my mother's life or on my mother's grave. We say things like that. But we know that what we say can be easily changed. And many people swear and make promises, but they don't go through with it. Now, look, was Jesus trying to destroy oath-taking altogether? Was he saying that it was just simply wrong? It seems like it, right? But I mean, look, is there room for the judicial oath? Or, you know, when you go to court and you say, oh, I promise to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, but help me, God. Are we violating or sinning, or violating the Bible or, or God's word or sinning if we do that? I mean, should we just not go to court at all and, and make sure we avoid such things? You know, we do this in Christian countries, right? Of course, not here in Malaysia. It's not a Christian country. But in many Christian countries, we do do that. But what did Jesus do? Let's go to Matthew chapter 26 and verses 63 to 64. Look at this. But Jesus held his peace, and the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God, that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus saith unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. You know, Jesus at this time, he was standing before the high priest who is trying to judge him and condemn him, trying to find a way to, to kill him and put him on that Roman cross. And up to this point, Jesus, he had remained silent. He had not said a single word. He had not responded to any question, any insult, or anything that they've done to him. People had been bringing these false accusations against him and they didn't line up and, and Jesus didn't say a single thing. He was quiet this whole time. But now the high priest comes in and he says, I adjure thee by the living God. That word adjure, it means to invoke an oath. He's putting Christ under oath, under oath of God. And he's asking Jesus if he really is the Messiah or not, if he truly is the Son of God or not. At this point, as soon as the high priest says that, I adjure thee by the living God, Jesus speaks. He doesn't rebuke the high priest. He doesn't say, oh, you shouldn't be um, taking oaths. You shouldn't be asking people to do such things. No, when the high priest asks him under oath by God, Jesus speaks. He declares himself to be the son of God. And so if what the high priest was doing was sinful, was, was incorrect, was going against what, what the children of, of Israel and the children of God should be doing, then Christ would not have answered at all, but instead would have rebuked the high priest. But it is obvious from his answer and in answering the high priest's question that there is still room for the judicial oath. There is still room for oath-taking today. So what Jesus was what was Jesus dealing here again with in Matthew chapter 5 though? He was dealing with the problem of people making promises, taking oaths, but they were not going through with it. So let's come back now to Matthew chapter 5. So we we've seen how Jesus he's warned us to be careful about making promises that we don't intend to keep. But he's not done yet. You see, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 37, he continues, But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. 
Now look, what does Jesus mean to make sure our communication is yay, yay, and nay, nay? He's saying, if you say yes, mean a yes. If you say no, mean a no. Let's go over also to James chapter 5 and verse 12. Look at this. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any oath. Sounds like what Jesus is saying, right? But let your yea be yea, and your nay, nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. You see, James, he's also saying here, don't swear. Don't swear by heaven. Don't swear by earth. Don't swear by God's name. It's right along the lines of what Jesus is saying. And he also says, don't take any oath. But what should we do? What does he say there? Make sure that your yes is a yes and your no is a no. What what he's saying is we should mean what we say. We should follow through with what we say. When we say yes, we should mean yes and follow through with a yes. And if we say no, then we should really mean no and let that communication be clear and not change. You see, friends, our communication, it needs to be clear and concise, truthful and honest. It should be full of integrity. People should be able to trust what we say. And Jesus says, look, whatever is more than this, which means if you keep changing, then it's of the wicked one. It's of the devil. It's not from the side of righteousness and truthfulness. We should not say yes and in our hearts. We really mean no or vice versa, right? Let's go to another text. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Look at this. When I therefore was thus minded, did I use lightness? Or the things that I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh, that with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay? But as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. You see, Paul could say to the church at Corinth that his communication was just what he intended it to be. He did not say yes and mean a no, nor did he say no and mean a yes. When he spoke and what he wrote, he meant what he said. There was no changing. He didn't mix truth with error or lie to them in any way, shape or form. Now look, you must be wondering, do we really do that to others? Do we really communicate this way to other people? Apart from, of course, lying, right? But look, let me give you some examples. You know, some people, when we meet people at a certain time in a place, right? And you say, okay, I'm going to meet you here at this time, at this place. And we arrive there first and, you know, they're not there. So, so we give them a call and we ask them, hey, where are you, right? And, and sometimes they'll say, oh, we're on the way, we're on the way. And they have not left their house yet. They'll say they're on their way, but, you know, in their mind, they're like, I'm leaving the house. But they haven't left yet. They're not on the way, you see? So that's a yes and a no. What we should say is, I'm sorry, I'm still at home, but I'm going to leave right now, right? So, you know, we might think, oh, Ben, these are small things. But really, the way we communicate has to be clear and concise, precise. You know, as a pastor, many times I ask people whether I'll see them at church this coming weekend or next week. And, we, you know, we like to use phrases today that are ambiguous. We don't go to the point of what Jesus does and what he was confronting people with, not what he does, but what he was saying that people do. 
we don't go a yes and a no, but we like to say things like, by God's grace. And that term itself can be good, right? Oh, yes, look, friends, it's only by God's grace that we make it safely to church. It's only by God's grace that we're, we're kept alive. It's only by God's grace that we have health and strength in our bodies. So look, by itself, that phrase, by God's grace, is nothing wrong with it. But look, when we say, by God's grace, just by itself, it doesn't really mean anything. If I ask a person, look, will you be coming to church this weekend? If we really mean what we say, we should say, yes, definitely I'll be at church next week by God's grace. You see that? So that's where that by God's grace, it really it really means something. But we've already made the decision. When someone asks you, will you be at church this coming Sabbath, this weekend? And you go, by God's grace. And you don't say anything else. You leave it ambiguous. We're using God's name. But we, in our hearts, we've not made our minds up whether we're going to be there or not. You see? We have to make a decision. Yes, I'm going to be there by God's grace. And there will be nothing that will stop us from going forward to make that to happen. You see, we got to make sure that our communication is a yay, a yay, a yes, a yes, or a no, and a no. We can tell people, look, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be there this weekend. We can, we can say that, but we don't like to, I don't know, disappoint people. We, we, we don't like to... We just don't like to tell the truth sometimes. And so we make things ambiguous. And our communication, we usually make it more of an outlet to just say, oh, look, if I'm not there, it doesn't matter, right? But you know, friends, our communication needs to be a yes and a yes. Or a no and a no. Look, what does the Bible teach us about our communication, our speech? Let's have a look at this. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how you ought to answer every man. Our speech, the Bible tells us, should be seasoned with salt, seasoned with grace, just as Jesus tells us to be the salt of the earth, to be a blessing to the whole earth. Our communication needs to be a blessing to everyone around us as well. Question. Does the things that I say show that I serve a true and a living God? Can people tell that I'm a Christian by the things that I I say and by my speech? You know, of course, with our study here, I'm referring to topics that we talk about and what we choose to say. I'm not referring, pardon me, to topics that we talk about, like, you know, um, whether we're talking about movies or, or games compared to whether we're talking about spiritual things or uplifting things or, you know, compared to wh- whether I'm cursing or whether I'm speaking pure language. Look, what we're talking about in context here is, is our yes a yes? Is our no a no? Do we mean what we say? Can people take us by our word? Can people trust us with what we say and what comes out of our mouths? Or do we say things just to get people off our backs, but we ourselves don't really mean it? Do you maybe tell someone that you'll, you'll meet them at this place and, and time and not turn up? And the only reason you said it is because you didn't want to talk to them anymore. You just didn't want them to bother you anymore. So you said a lie. You really did not mean what you say. Friends, even in this day and age, this is still 
happening. It's not just a problem of the past, but Jesus, he knows our hearts and our human hearts have not changed for thousands of years. We still struggle with the same things. But let's continue. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, we're told, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Our communication must not be corrupt or or vile or profane. Our speech needs to edify other people. And people, they should not be second-guessing what we say or if we really mean what we say. They should be able to take what we say at face value and they should be able to trust it. But you see, friends, what makes a person say yes but in their hearts really mean no? What is it that changes our communication? Look, first from experience, I find that people tend to say yes in front of you and they mean no is because they lack the courage to really tell you no from the beginning. They lack the courage and they, and they don't want to disappoint you or offend you. So they would rather just say yes and get your hopes up and make you feel happy to, to go home and or even just give a vague answer like maybe or we'll see than just to say no outright. But the Bible also gives us an insight as to why we do things like this. Look at this, James chapter 1, verse 8. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. It's not just that we lack courage, friends, but many times we're double-minded. We've not made up our minds to set our heart on the right and the good goal. Like Daniel, we've not purposed in our hearts that we would set our hearts firmly and make a firm decision. And so we leave the, the door open and room for the devil to come in. And usually, friends, making good and righteous decisions do not come in a short moment of time or from wavering. The condition of our hearts is wicked. So just to think that we're going to make good and righteous decisions just off the bat without thinking, it doesn't come like that, friends. We've got to sit there. We've got to pray about it. If we, want to, if we really want to make it to church every week, friends, it's important. It's not something that you grew up with and it's just a good habit to have. No, friends. Even going to church, it requires firm decisions every single week. But it does not come from a natural heart. Look at our hearts, friends. In Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the Bible says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? If our hearts, friends, are so wicked, if our hearts are so deceitful, then to make righteous decisions will require help from above. It will not come naturally. The desire of the heart naturally is not to want to go to church. It's not to want to go to prayer meeting. It's not to want to commit to anything that is spiritual. The natural desires of the heart, they chase after the world. That's what the natural desires of our hearts are like. Further on, we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Friends, naturally, we do not want to follow God. 
We don't desire it. We are naturally inclined to chase after the world and everything that is bad for us. So what needs to happen? How can God help us with our communication and with our hearts? How can we get to the point that the things that we say are dependable? Well, let's go to James chapter 4, verse 8. The Bible says this, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Do you see that, friends? If we want to stop being double-minded, if we want to stop having our communication be a yes, but in our hearts mean a no, then we need to have our hands cleansed. But more than that, we need to have our hearts cleansed. And the only way that can happen, friends, is if we draw nigh to God. If we draw near to God, He's the only one that can cleanse our hearts and wash our hearts and make it pure and make it clean. We need to be clean from the inside, only then to the out. You see, if our hearts are, hearts are changed, then our communication will change as well, friends. In Matthew 12, 34, the Bible says, O generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? In your hearts, if you're evil, how can you speak anything good? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You see, out of the overflow of our hearts, the mouth will speak. The purity of our hearts, it will produce pure words, true words, honest words. But wicked hearts, there will always be a yes and then a no, or a no, but really we mean a yes. You see, friends, we need to have our hearts changed. It is a heart issue. And Christ is trying to tell us that it's not just in outward forms and mere keeping of the commandments that we should obey. We need to learn to obey from the heart. We need to have our hearts transformed to, to want to obey, to desire to obey, not to be scared or forced to obey. We need to have a heart change, a heart transplant. Look at this. Romans 6.17 But God be thanked that ye were servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. You see that? We've got to obey from what? From the heart. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6 says, Not with eye service as men pleases, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God. Where? From the heart. You see, friends, this is the issue that Jesus has been dealing with in Matthew chapter 5. In the previous study, we talked about how we should not lust after a woman because when you lust after a woman in your heart, that's the same as committing adultery. We may not have committed the very act of sleeping with another woman, but we held that thought in our heart and Jesus says that is as bad as adultery itself. Before that, we studied about what? Hating your brother in your heart. It's the same as what? Murdering them. You may not have committed the act of murder itself, but you've held the thought in your heart as well. The issue, friends, is with the heart. What we are thinking and feeling inside, it really matters. It's not so much the act itself, but it's the spirit of the law, not the letter. It's the heart and out of the overflow of the heart, all these things are taking place. And now we see this fruit. Many of us, we have this communication. We say yes, but we really mean no or no and we mean yes. We were just confused, it seems, but it's no. It's that the problem is our hearts, friends, the heart. And so what does God want to do with the heart? 
What does he want to do with his law? He doesn't want to just make us to obey all these outward things. Oh, now make sure you, when you say yes, you mean yes. No, look at this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds. I will write them. God wants to write his law in our hearts and in our minds. That is the only way that we can obey from the heart to have the spirit of the law and not just obey the letter of the law. This is the only way that we can be changed, friends, from the inside to the out. We have to have an abiding relationship with Jesus. Because when that happens, when we have our heart changed, transplanted, is cleansed from the inside to the out, then this is what we will find is the result. Psalms 40 verse 8, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. Then the law of God will be a delight. Everything that Jesus wants us to do will then become a delight. So many of us were struggling with things that the Bible has said, ah, you should do this, you shouldn't do that. And so many times we struggle and and that struggle is a real thing in our hearts. And look, there will always be a struggle. But the fact that you're struggling shows that the word of God is being written in your heart already. God is putting his thoughts into your heart because before it was never a struggle. Before you never thought about it. Before you never thought that lying was bad or saying yes but meaning no in your heart was bad or giving all these ambiguous answers was bad. We thought it was okay, but now we begin to have this struggle. Now we felt this a little bit of guilt or condemnation and it's not all bad. It's the spirit working in your heart saying, hey Ben, don't do that. You know better now. The word of God is being written in your heart and God is changing your priorities. He's changing your desires. He's, he's saying, hey, this is not good. And he, he, he's written his law there. And all of a sudden we feel guilty. And this is good, friends. It's not bad. Don't think, oh, the, the Christian life, when it makes me feel guilty, this is not good. No. The fact that we feel guilty, the fact that we feel, feel this sense of judgment, it, it's not a bad thing, friends. It's God convicting us. It's God striving with us. It's God trying to change us. And I don't want you to fight against it, friends. Don't feel like, oh, I don't like the Bible anymore. No, friends, it's the law of God that's been written in your heart. It's the Holy Spirit working through those words and beginning to convict you and to change you and transform you, give you different purposes. But then we've got to learn to surrender. We've got to learn to surrender. We've got to learn to give in to His will and say, God, not your will, my will, but your will be done. And yes, it'll be, it'll be a struggle to overcome these thoughts, overcome these desires, but eventually... God, he will replace your thoughts with his own thoughts. The obedient life will become not just a life of drudgery and, oh, I can't eat this anymore, I can't do this anymore, I can't be there and I can't dress this way or whatever it is. No, the obedient life then becomes a delight. Friends, it's not just simply calling yourself a Christian, but delighting to be a Christian. Not, oh, I'm so glad that I'm not like them. Not that sort of delight, but a delight and a joy and a happiness that Jesus is your friend and companion, that he's guiding your life, that he's leading you. So many friends, so many of us struggle with the Christian life because of one fact. His law is not written 
upon our hearts and minds. We try to conform to outward ceremonies and forms, but inside, our hearts are not changed. And it's not a delight. It's a burden that we carry to be a Christian. We think that's normal. But friends, that's not. To write the law in our hearts and minds has been God's desire from the very beginning. Look at this. In the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. Look at this. This is what God instructed ancient Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words, which I command thee this day, shall be where? In thine heart. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. You know, friends, it wasn't a literal outward form that God wanted. He wanted the law to be between their eyes. But what's between our eyes? Right there. It's our forehead. Right there. It's our mind. God wanted us to write the law in our hearts and in our minds. It was the Jews that made it literal. They lost sight of the spirit behind it, but just kept the form. But God, he always wanted them to love him with all their heart and soul and strength and might. Friends, the Christian life ought not to be a life to be just full of burden. It shouldn't be that we are carrying this burden and, oh, it's just a list of do's and don'ts, more don'ts than do's. But today, friends, the important question that we must ask ourselves is this. Are we keeping the law of God and, and doing these things that we do as Christians because the law is in our heart? Or are we keeping out of obligation or tradition or even peer pressure? You know, Jesus' desire for us is to be happy. And we can have that joy that peace and happiness that's not of this world if we're willing to let him write his law in our hearts today. God does not delight in outward compliance. No, he wants total inward conversion. He wants us to be like this and do this and, and do that because that's who we are. Not simply like a child with no, no choice as if the parent is standing there with a stick saying, ah, now, 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 you better do this, right? No, he wants us to be totally changed from the inside, to be transformed fully and totally, that we do these things because we ourselves love to do it. Then our actions will change. Then our language will change. Then our yes will be a yes, and our no's will be no's. Look at this in James, oh, pardon me, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. The Bible says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Friends, may we accept the renewing power of God's word in our hearts today. Let's not wait any longer. Let's live a, a, a fulfilling and abundant Christian life. But it's got to begin with, God, please write your law in my heart today. And the pen of the Holy Spirit is the only one that can do that. Yes, we've got to spend time in the Word. But we've got to pray. We've got to ask God, God, write that in my heart, please, today. 
Do that for me. Is that your desire, friends? I know it is. Will you bow your heads with me as we ask God to to, to help us to experience this true and total conversion, this new man, this new woman that's created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we recognize that many times our communication is corrupt, that we don't say the things that you want us to say. We don't even do the things that you want us to do. And Father, please help us, not just simply to do it, but may you please write your law in our hearts and our minds today. Give us this new covenant experience, O Lord. Help us to be like Jesus. Help us to experience true, total transformation, a renewing of our minds, O Lord, that we might be a new creature in Christ today. Father, please bless my brothers and sisters here, those that are listening to this. I pray that you would please give them that true experience, that you would help them to experience this abundant life Help them to see that you desire to bless them, give them a a joyful, full of love and, and happiness life here on this earth. Lord, please help us to experience that today and teach us what it means to have this experience. Help us to know what it means to be truly converted today. Guide us to that end, Lord. Bless us all with your spirit is my earnest plea and prayer. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.